our church has experienced some important years in our history. It was an important day back 70 years ago when 35 people stepped out in faith and chose to launch a church called Northside Baptist Church. That was an important day. It was an important day 20 years ago when that same church voted to purchase 128 acres of prime property on I-20 and 378 to one day relocate the church so that, so that we could reach more people. That was an important day. It was an important day eight years ago when we decided to relocate during the worst recession in the history of our nation, our people stepped out in faith and gave sacrificially and we relocated so we could reach more people. And it was an important day six years ago when we started Northside West, a church that is impacting hundreds upon hundreds of lives each and every year. But I want you to know this morning that I don't believe any of those days are more important than today because what we're doing today has the opportunity to impact us in a way that those days haven't yet because you see beyond isn't about buying property beyond isn't about building buildings and beyond isn't even about what's going on inside these walls beyond is all about what we are committed to do to reach beyond these walls. Beyond is all about our desire to plant more campuses in the Midlands so that every single neighborhood will have a gospel witness. Beyond is all about planting churches throughout the northeast of the United States, areas that, that one day, at one point in the past, were, were great cities, great areas with gospel presences, but, but they're not anymore. And then beyond is about our desire to, to send missionaries to unreached, unengaged people groups around the world. You see, beyond will define who we are as we move into the future. Beyond will decide how committed we are to the task that God has given us. And beyond will determine whether we're going to be a people who walk by faith and trust God for what seems impossible or whether we're going to walk by sight and be content to do what everybody else does. Three weeks ago, we started this Beyond Journey. And when we started the Beyond Journey, we started by looking at a verse that kind of set the tone for what we want to do. That verse is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Listen to what it says. It says, God can do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything you could ask or imagine even in your wildest dreams God can do exceeding abundantly beyond anything that you could ever ask or imagine in your wildest dreams God can do anything do you believe that amen God can do anything nothing is beyond the ability of God and when we are walking by faith you and I have the potential to see the power of God work in us and through us. For most of us, you see, the problem isn't that we dream too big. It's that we dream too small. Our problem isn't that we have too big a faith. It's that we have too small a faith. 
And so we want to be a people who believe that God can do beyond anything he's ever done before as you and I begin to walk by faith. But then last week we talked about one of the ways that we walk by faith. And that is in the area of our giving. And we looked at a church that the Apostle Paul held up as an example for giving in a way that honors God and shows that the grace of God is at work in our life. It was the Macedonian church. I want you to listen to what, what Paul said about them in 2 Corinthians 8. He sat out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They didn't only give what they were able, they gave beyond their ability. Look at that equation Paul gave us. He said extreme poverty plus severe trial plus overwhelming joy equals rich generosity. What he's saying there is it doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter what we have. When the joy of Jesus is flowing through us, the result will always be rich generosity. Did you get that? I mean, whether you're poor or rich, whether you're having it good or you're experiencing terrible trials, if the joy of Jesus is inside of you, then that will well up into rich generosity. You see, that's faith giving. That's when we give beyond the realm of our ability and we begin to give the realm of our inability. We give beyond what we're able to do. We walk by faith, trusting God to do what only God can do. And when we do that, listen, when we do that, that's when we see God work. Because when we're doing what we can do, we get what we can do. But when we believe that God has called us to do beyond what we can do, to give beyond what we can give, then we see God move and God work in ways that we never thought possible. And today as we continue this beyond journey, what we want to do is look at the nuts and bolts of beyond. What exactly it is that we want to accomplish. Why do we want to accomplish this? How are we going to do it? And as we do, it's my prayer, it's our prayer, that just like the Bible says about the Macedonian believers, each and every one of us will not only be willing to be a part of beyond, but each and every one of us will be begging to be a part of beyond. Now, in the same way for us as a church, we need to realize that 
God is absolutely using your side in powerful ways. But regardless of how God has used us in the past, like Paul said, we too have an obligation to continue going, to take the gospel beyond the places that we have already taken. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that that is what beyond is all about. So how are we going to do that? So the first way that we're going to do that is the first way we're going to take the gospel beyond the walls of the church, beyond the places that we've already taken it. Or we're going to plant, we are going to plant ten new campuses and communities all around the world. So back on Easter Sunday in 2013, you guys as a church, we launched the West Campus of Northside. Now the story there is the church that was meeting there in that location before then, it was White Mole Baptist Church. And unfortunately, they had been through some difficult times, they had been through some difficult circumstances, and sadly, the church was pretty much dying. On any given Sunday, that church was down to about eight people who were gathering together in worship. Today, at the West Campus, on any given Sunday, there's over 250 people gathering and worshiping Jesus together, and to this day, by God's grace, we have seen 115 people baptized, professing Amen. Their faith in Jesus. Amen. Say, oh, did you hear about 
when we think about that from a biblical perspective, we realize that's not exactly accurate, is it? Because you and I, we don't find Jesus. Jesus is the one who finds us. Amen. Because Jesus is not the one who is lost. He doesn't need finding. We are the ones who are lost in our sin, and Jesus leaves heaven to come and find us. You see, that's the one of the things that I think sets Christianity apart from all the other religions, from all the other faith systems, from all the other philosophies in the world. Uh, because most religions, most faith systems, they'll, they'll word things differently, but what they basically try to tell you is, hey, if you can you know, check all these boxes, if you can accomplish all the things on this checklist, then you can be good enough, then you can find your way back to God. You can work your way back to God. What Christianity tells us, though, is that we could not find our way back to God. We have no hope of working our way back to God. But God, in His infinite love, came down and He found us. That's who Jesus is at His core. Jesus is God leaving heaven to come and find us. So we believe that if we want to reach our community, if we want to reach the Midlands, the most effective way to do that is to follow the model of Jesus. It's to go into the community. It's to go to where the people are. See, we can't just sit here. We can't just sit over at the West Campus and expect that people who live in Gilbert and people who live in Chapin and people who live in Blythewood are going to wake up one day and drive all the way over here. If we want to see the gospel change their hearts, we have to go to them. And so the way we go to them is by planning campuses in their neighborhood. See, that's how we continue to reach people like my friends Chris and Anna who are here today. I'm going to try not to look at them because I'll get emotional if I do. But Chris and Anna, they live about a mile down the road from the West Campus. They're at uh, Precious Daughters Go to School. That's one of the schools right by the West Campus. And over summer, they enrolled their girls in the summer camp that we have over at the West Campus. Then in July, when we had VBS, they signed their girls up for VBS, and the girls came to that. Now, the Sunday after VBS, we had a big party. Um, we showed a video in service, kind of a VBS recap of all the things that the kids did there. So all the families of the kids who attended VBS were invited to church that Sunday. Now, the thing about Chris and Anna is, you know, they're one of those kind of uh, sweet, cute couples who, like, got together when they were teenagers. You know, they've been together, Chris says, for almost 20 years. But in their almost two decades together, Chris told me that they had never been to church together. For all the 20 years of their relationship, they were unsure. But they were invited to come to Northside on that Sunday. So Anna went home and she told Chris, hey, they invited us to church. There's going to be a video of you know, what the girls did this week. Do you want to go? And Chris said he kind of paused and he sat back and he said, yeah, why not? Let's go. Now, what is there to lose, Chris? So July 14th, they were there that Sunday. And then they were there the Sunday after that. And the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, and they've been there every Sunday since. Just five weeks ago, Chris stood up before his new church family, publicly proclaiming his faith in Jesus through baptism. Amen. So here's why I tell you that. It's because the way that we were able to reach Chris and Anna and their precious families was by going to them. It was by planning a campus in their neighborhood. So church, that's why we want to plant 10 campuses in new communities and new neighborhoods all throughout the Midlands because we believe that's how we're going to reach the Midlands. 
Not by sitting back here, not by sitting back at the West Campus expecting them to come to us. If we want to reach the Midlands, we must go to them. But that's just the beginning of what we want to do. Because you see, we also want to plant three churches in the northeast part of the United States. Now, some of you are probably asking, why the northeast part of the United States? Well, the first is its proximity. It's easy for us to get to. It's easy for us to fly to. And then the second reason is because of the strategic cities in the northeast. Some of the most strategic cities in the United States are found in the northeast. Cities like Baltimore, which is one of our historic cities. A city that has over 2.8 million people. It's called a city of neighborhoods. But the problem is a city that used to be a bastion of the gospel now has lost much of its gospel presence. Today in Baltimore there is one Baptist church for every 9,925 people. One church for every 9,925 people. That's not right. We will never change Baltimore without planning churches. But when we move to other cities, it's even worse. Boston, there is one church for every 40,000 people. New York City, there is one church for every 52,000 people. In South Carolina, in the Bible Belt, there's one Baptist church for every 2,200 people. Don't you think the people in the Northeast deserve the right to have access to the gospel as much as we do? That's why it is so important for us to go to these strategic areas. The North American Mission Board has said that there are four primary focus areas that we need to give our attention to if we want to change North America. The first are the strategic cities. They're strategic because of the density of the population, and they're strategic because of their influence on culture. The, the second area is on college campuses where people are getting ready to graduate and be launched all around the world. The third area is on, on military bases and military communities because those areas are so transient. And the people that live there are literally going all around the world. And then the fourth area are strategic areas like Puerto Rico. And what our North American Mission Board says is that if we will focus on influencing these areas with the gospel, then we will have a better chance and a better opportunity of changing the United States. And can I tell you, that's what the Apostle Paul did. When the Apostle Paul went into cities to plant churches, he chose strategic locations. Cities that if those cities were influenced by the gospel, would influence the entire Roman Empire. Cities like Corinth, Philippi, Ephesus. And that's what we saw happen as those churches began to change the culture of those cities. It began to influence the culture of the empire until several hundred years later, several hundred years later, the Roman Empire 
bent its knee to Jesus Christ. So we want to plant churches in strategic cities. And then third, we want to send missionaries to at least three unreached, unengaged people groups. Now some of you are probably asking, what is an unreached, unengaged people group? So let me give you a definition. An unreached, unengaged people group is defined as a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate, adequate numbers or resources to evangelize their people without outside help. In other words, there may be a believer among them. There may be a couple of believers among them. But they do not have the amount of people or the resources to penetrate their people group. Now get this. Still in the world, there are over 3,126 unreached people groups. That represents 220 million people. Over 3,100 people groups representing 220 million people who have little or no access to the gospel. Many of these people have never even heard the name of Jesus. They haven't heard. And this is what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. It says, after this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and they held palm branches in their hands. This passage in Revelation is, is referring to a future day when all believers will stand before the throne of God worshiping Him. And we are told on that day, there will be people from every people group bending their knee, lifting their hands in praise to the one who gave their life for Him. And if we don't tell them about Jesus, who will? You see, we're obligated. We're obligated because of our love for Jesus. And we're obligated because of our love for them. That's why. That's why we want to plant campuses in the Midlands. Because there are people that we know, that we go to school with, that we live beside, that don't know Jesus. That's why we want to plant churches in the Northeast and eventually all over the United States because there are people in our nation that haven't even heard the name of Jesus. And that's why we want to send missionaries out to unreached, unengaged people groups because many of them don't even know there's a Jesus who came to this earth to die for their sins so that they could have life. Don't you think... Don't you think that they have as much right? Don't you think that they have as much opportunity to hear the gospel as you and I do? You see, that's what Beyond is all about. It's not about paying off debt. It's about sharing the gospel, the hope of Jesus, with a world that has no hope. Apart from it. So if you guys are anything like me, maybe maybe sitting here and hearing all this, and you're like, okay, next ten years, plant ten new campuses. 
inside of you through the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you're going to get this resurrection power, all right? It's just not going to be for the purpose that you thought it was. It's not going to be to empower you to take up swords and go fight this political revolution and drive the Romans out of your land. So Jesus goes on and he tells them exactly what this resurrection power was supposed to empower them to do. He says, and then you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, this power over death, this resurrection power of the Spirit of God that's coming to dwell inside of you, it's going to equip you to tell the world about me. To tell people everywhere that I have defeated sin and I have defeated death for the people of the world. And Jesus says, you're going to go tell people this in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the city that they were currently in at this time. So for us, that would be like Lexington, Columbia, and West Columbia. Then Jesus says, you're going to tell people about this in Judea. So that was the region that they lived in. For us, that's like the Midlands. Then he says, and also you're going to tell people about this in Samaria. That was a region to the north of them, but still they're in their same country. So for us, that's Baltimore, Boston, and New York, and the northeastern United States. And Jesus says, and you're going to tell people this even to the ends of the earth. For us, that's the Nubians and the two other unreached people groups that we want to reach. So to answer the question, why are we, why are we doing this? Why do we want to put so much time and energy money into going beyond our walls? Well, it's simple. Because Jesus, our risen King, commanded us to. Amen. And not only did our risen King command us to, but He promised us that when we do that, He will empower us with His Spirit to be able to accomplish it. And if you've been here at Northside a while, or even if you haven't, you saw the video at the beginning of the service, I think it's pretty clear that over the years of the life of Northside, the Holy Spirit has worked and moved powerfully through the life of this church. And those of you who are part of the Northside family, I imagine you, you probably think, like, man, I, I hope, I pray, I desire that the Holy Spirit would continue to move through the life of Northside, that it would continue to use Northside in incredible ways and transform our community. But here's what we got to realize. How naive would it be for us to think how naive would it be for us to expect the Holy Spirit to continue working through Northside if we were not even engaged in the very task that the Holy Spirit was given so that we could be empowered to accomplish? And that's the task of taking the gospel, the hope, and the peace of Jesus to the communities of the Midlands, to the Northeast, and even to the ends of the earth. So we have this God-sized vision to start campuses and plant churches and send missionaries all around the world. And the why is we've been commanded to. We don't have an option if we're going to walk in obedience. But the question we need to ask is, is how? I mean, how are we going to do that? How can we, one church, make a difference in the entire world. Well, I believe there are three things that each and every one of us can do. And if we do these things passionately and obediently, 
God is going to use us to touch the world like never before. Now, here's the first thing. Everyone can do this, and that is pray. Now, I'm not talking about pray about what you're going to give. Hopefully, you've already done that. I'm talking about pray for the world. Pray for those who are far from God. Pray for your neighbors who don't know Jesus. Pray for neighborhoods that don't have a gospel witness. Pray for our nation and, and pockets in our nation that are far from the Lord. Pray for people groups who are far from the Lord. Here's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. You see, Paul is saying that each and every one of us should be passionately praying for people to come to faith in Jesus. We should be praying for those in authority to come to Jesus. We should be praying for those that we're close to to come to know Jesus. We should be praying for those that, that we don't even know to come to know Jesus. But we shouldn't only be praying for those who are far from God. We should be praying that God, who is the Lord of the harvest, will send laborers out into the harvest. Listen to what it says in Matthew 9. It says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the harvest fields. You see, we don't only ask God to touch the hearts and the lives of people who are far from God. We ask God to send out workers into the fields who will tell people about God. And so what that means, get this, is we say, God, here am I. Send me. That's how Isaiah prayed. We pray, Lord, if you want to send my kids send my kids we pray Lord if you want to send my grandchildren send my grandchildren you see we not only pray that the Holy Spirit of God will touch the hearts of those who are far from God we pray that the Holy Spirit will touch the hearts of each and every one of us and we will be open and receptive to go out into the field and make a difference so we pray can can you pray raise your hand if you can pray everybody can pray Everybody can. Okay, so every one of us can pray. Pray for the lost. We can pray for laborers to go into the fields. The second thing I believe each and every one of us can do is we can go. Now, why do I believe each and every one of us can go? Well, because Jesus commanded us to go. Jesus empowered us to go. That's what Pastor John said in Acts 1.8. You'll receive power and you will be my witnesses. You see, we are commanded to go. We are empowered to go. So each and every one of us can go. You can go to your neighbors, can't you? You can go to your coworkers, can't you? You can go into your school, can't you? You can go. But for some of you, it's not just going out into your neighborhood or going to work or going to school and 
sharing the hope of the gospel. It's going out into the world, going to Baltimore, going to Boston on short-term mission trips. Most of us can do that. Maybe not everyone can, but most of us can, can do that. We can take a vacation and we can raise funds and, and we can go and, and with a mission team to Baltimore. We can go with a mission team to India. We can go with a mission team to Chile. We can go with a mission team to Egypt. We can do that. We can go. But I want you to listen. I believe for some of us in this room, when the Holy Spirit tells us to go, He's not telling us to go and come back. He's telling us to go. For some of you, what that means is as we plant campuses over the next 10 years in the Midlands, you're going to be a part of that church planning team. Some of you are going to go to help lead worship. Some of you will go to help teach Bible studies. Some of you will go as campus pastors. But you'll go to help us plant churches, campuses in the Midlands. There are others of you who are going to be called to go to Baltimore. I believe with all my heart. Some of you are going to be called to Baltimore, to Boston, to New York City, to other places. You say, Rocky, are you saying that I'm going to be called to preach? Maybe some of you will be. But the truth of the matter is, there are some of you who have jobs and occupations. You could do your job anywhere. You, you work from a computer. You, you have skills that are transferable to other places. And God may be telling you to go to one of those places and be part of a church planning team in a city that is far from God. But then I believe there are others of you who over the next 10 years, you're going to be called to go. To get on a plane and go. Go to a people group that are foreign to you, to a language that you cannot speak and plant your life seeking to reach those people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now here's the thing, whether it be to your school or in your neighborhood or at work or to Baltimore or to Egypt, every one of us can go somewhere, can't we? If you can go, raise your hand. You can go, oh you can go, get your hand raised. Quit sitting there in disobedience. If you're a Christ follower, you can go. But not only are we to pray, not only are we to go, each and every one of us can give. We can't all give the same thing, but we can all give. You see, we haven't all been blessed with the same resources. We don't have the same amount of money in our, in our hands at our disposal to use for things, but we all have resources that we can give. Teenagers, you can give. You know, if a teenager decided they weren't going to go to Chick-fil-A one day a week over a three-year period, that teenager could give around $1,500 to beyond spending $10 at Chick-fil-A, giving it up one day a week, $1,500, actually more. A family that says they have no income to give, if that family decided we're not going to go out and eat one time every week that we normally do. If the typical person spends between 30 and, and $40 taking a family out to eat, you could give close to 
$1,000 just not going out to eat one meal. That's not a sacrifice. That's giving up a convenience. That's giving up a convenience. That's giving up a luxury. We can all give. Remember the, the poor widow woman that came to the temple in the Bible and she put in two copper coins? That's all she had. Jesus looked at his disciples and he looked at all of the people who are wealthy and were giving large sums of money. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, this woman, she's given more than anybody else here today. They've all given out of their excess. She gave everything she had. Not everything that she had in her pockets or in her pocketbook. She gave it all. It amounted to hardly anything. But in God's eyes, it was the biggest gift given that day. You can give. And what you need to understand is if you're a follower of Jesus, the grace of God should compel you to give. You see, when we've experienced the grace of God in our life, and that joy that comes from God's grace begins to overflow, what Paul says is that it wells up into rich generosity. I, I believe with all my heart that once we've experienced God's grace and we have God's joy, we cannot but be generous. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but here's what I know, we can all do it. For some of you, that means I'm going to start giving. You call Northside your spiritual home, but you haven't yet started doing that. And so that's a start. For some others of you, it may be you're committed to start tithing. You've never taken that biblical step of giving a tenth of your income to the church that you're a part of. And the Bible teaches that. And maybe that's where you need to start. But for others of us, like my wife and I, you've already been doing that and maybe even doing beyond that. But now your heart's been penetrated with a love for the world. And you want to go above and beyond anything you've ever done before. And that's what we're asking you to do. Six and a half million dollars. Wow. Even saying it scares me. Six and a half million dollars over three years given so that we can penetrate the darkness in the world. But here's what I believe. If we commit to step out in faith and do it, God will do exceeding abundantly beyond what we could ever ask or imagine in our wildest dreams. And as he does, I want you to look at me. I believe according to his word, he will bless you in ways that you never thought possible. And he will bless our church as we step out in ways like you never thought possible. And you may be here and, and you're far from God. You don't know what we're talking about. You're saying, that guy's crazy. He's telling these people to give beyond what they're able to give. I hope they're not listening. Well, I want to tell you why I'm not crazy. The reason I'm not crazy is because I've experienced the grace of God in my life. I was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind because of Jesus, now I see. And if it were not for the grace of God, I got to tell you, I would probably be in jail or dead today. But God's grace changed my life. And I know that the gospel 
that changed my life is the power of God that saves anybody and everybody. And we want to get that gospel to the world. And we want you to know that gospel. So if you're here and you're far from God, and, and right now the Holy Spirit is just doing something inside of you, you don't even know what it is, but you know Man, what he is saying is resonating with me. I need God in my life. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your life to him. But before we do, I want to get back to you who are part of the Northside family. I want you to pull out this card. You got it when you came in. It's your Beyond Commitment card. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment. In a moment, we're going to all stand and... And I'm going to ask everyone who is a part of the Northside family, if you're a guest here, you don't feel awkward, you just stay where you're at. But if you're a part of the Northside family, I'm going to ask you, because you should have already been praying about this, to, to bring your card and, and just put it in one of these four baskets here at the bottom of our stage or one of the two baskets up in the balcony, and then just go back to your seat. You may say, Rocky, I've already filled one of those out. I was one of those early commitment people. Well, we want you to fill out another one. We don't want you to miss out on this opportunity. We'll know it's a duplicate. Pastor Scott wanted to count it twice and make you give double, but I told him we couldn't do that. <laughs> Just joking. Just joking. But we're asking everybody to have the opportunity to take part and be a part of what God wants to do as we step out and trust him and see him do exceeding abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask and imagine. So I'm going to pray in just a moment. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. Now back to you. You say, I've never given my life to Jesus, but that's what I want to do this morning. I want to encourage you to bow your head with me, with everyone else here. Let's just bow our head, close our eyes. And if that's you and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, then I want to ask you right now to pray this prayer to him. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly acknowledging my sin to you. I am a sinner. I've lived life my way. I've disobeyed you. Forgive me. I am tired of living my way. Jesus, I believe you love me. I believe you came to this earth. You died on a cross. You rose from the grave to defeat sin and death for me. Today, I'm trusting you. Today, I'm giving my life to you. I want to follow you and serve you. I want your Holy Spirit to live in me. Dear Jesus, thank you for hearing my prayer. And thank you for saving me.